Well, if you would, take your Bibles. We're going to turn, and if you need a Bible, you have Bibles there on the chairs. 1 Samuel chapter 10, verses 9 through 24, as we continue our way through 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel 10, 9 through 24. Now, this is referring to Saul when it says, He turned his back. Verse 9, then it happened when he, Saul, turned his back to leave Samuel, God changed his heart, and all those signs came about on that day. When they came to the hill there, behold, a group of prophets met him, and the Spirit of God came upon him mightily so that he prophesied among them. It came about when all who knew him previously saw that he prophesied now with the prophets that the people said to one another, what has happened to the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? A man there said, Now who is their father? Therefore it became a proverb, Is Saul also among the prophets? When he had finished prophesying, he came to the high place. Now Saul's uncle said to him and to his servant, Where did you go? And he said, To look for the donkeys. When he saw that they could not be found, we went to Samuel. Saul's uncle said, Well, please tell me what Samuel said to you. So Saul said to his uncle, He told us plainly that the donkeys had been found. But he did not tell him about the matter of the kingdom which Samuel had mentioned. Therefore, thereafter, Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mizpah. And he said to the sons of Israel, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I brought Israel up from Egypt, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the power of all the kingdoms that were oppressing you. But you have today rejected your God, who delivers you from all your calamities and your distresses. Yet you have said, No, but set a king over us. Now therefore present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your clans. Thus Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near, and the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. Then he brought the tribe of Benjamin near by its families, and the Matrite family was taken. And Saul the son of Kish was taken. But when they looked for him, he could not be found. Therefore, they inquired further of the Lord, Has the man come here yet? So the Lord said, Behold, he is hiding himself by the baggage. So they ran and took him from there. And when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. Samuel said to all the people, Do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? Surely there is no one like him among all the people. So all the people shouted and said, Long live the king. This is the word of the Lord. When my, I wish Dave Brack was here. I wish Pastor Brack was here. I'll tell you why. Because Pastor Brack, he was in my dad's class when my dad taught at Tyler Junior College in the 60s. <laughs> that tells you how old he is. But... My dad taught at Tyler Junior College for 42 years, and, and until later on, he refereed football games, he refereed basketball games, and he umpired baseball games. And I used to wait up at night because I remember the first time I ever stayed up at night, he, would talk, he told me what happened that, you know, when he was on the football field. He would tell me what happened on the basketball games. And so I waited up every night to see what he would tell me, and he told me one story, a story one night. This is the one I remember. He said penalty flags were flying, and a coach came out on the football field while he was out there, 
And all the, you know, he's picking up his flag. And the coach came out there. And this is what the coach said. I'm not mad at you, Mr. Referee. I'm not mad at you, but I'm out here to keep my job. And he's screaming as loud as he can with this smile on his face. It looks like he's probably cursing daddy out. And my dad's got this huge smile on his face. And all the crowd thinks that this coach is really giving it to the, to the referee. But my, my dad and that coach, they had a secret that night. They're the only, only ones who knew what, what the coach said. The crowd thought they knew what he was saying. But daddy and this coach knew exactly what that coach had said. And so the first point tonight is this, the secret of the kingdom And the second thing we want to look at is the selection of the king. The secret of the kingdom is sort of like what I I just told you that happened to my father. In 1 Samuel chapter 9 all the way to 1 Samuel chapter 10 verse 16, the kingdom was a secret and only certain people knew about it. In fact, Samuel was the only one that knew about the kingdom And what was going to happen, we see that in chapter 9, verses 15 through 17, where God told Samuel, you're going to anoint Saul to be the king. At that point, only one person knew about the king. Kish's uh, son, Saul, did not know, and Kish did not know. Saul and the servant did not know as they were on their way looking for the donkeys. And the girls that Saul and the servant went and met, they did not know. The people at the sacrifice, the people at the festival... They did not know what was going on. And it wasn't till that next day after Saul had eaten with uh, the prophet at that that festival that he revealed to him. Remember on the roof? On the roof he tells him that he's going to be the king. He gives him that kingdom message. So now Samuel and Saul know. But the next day when Saul was given the signs, he went and saw two men at Rachel's tomb and they didn't know. And so many other people, those three men going to Bethel to worship, they didn't know. And the prophets at the hill of God, they didn't know with whom Saul would later prophesy. And all the town people who saw Saul prophesy, they didn't know. In fact, Saul's own uncle didn't know because Saul, do you remember what we read? Saul didn't tell him that part. (laughs) Saul said, we've been looking for the donkeys and we know that Samuel told us they've been found. But he didn't say to him what Samuel said to him. The Lord is at work. He he is at work, but he's he's secret. It's a secret. All the people in the stands don't know, but my dad and the coach knew. All the people in the town don't know, but Saul and Samuel know. And so finally, eventually, this is going to come out. But this is really a fascinating part of this passage of Scripture. If you go back and you read from chapter 9 to chapter 10, verse 16, the secrecy of the kingdom is in the midst of this word in the, in the Hebrew. It's masa, which means to find. Twelve times to find or to discover is found in this passage. It's a secret, yet the donkeys are found. Here's a secret, and yet Saul's servant could find money to pay Samuel. It's a secret, the girls were found. It's still a secret, but Saul found Samuel, and on and on the word found is used 12 times. It's ironic that God loves to work subversively. He loves to work under the radar. He loves to work, if you will, uh, in a secret manner. And knowing that the Lord has a secret purpose 
and that He's working this secret purpose out should always encourage every one of us. Years later, the Lord was also conspiring to place a person on the throne. His name was Jesus. He too was a secret. He was being brought into the world, not like a bolt of lightning or not like the sun, but he would be born of a virgin. He would be born just like you and just like me. He would be nursed at a mother's breast. He would have a father who taught him a trade. And he would be here and no one would know. The Lord is conspiring to put a son on the, king, on the kingdom who sits over all that is right now at the right hand of God. He looked just like you and me. He had brothers and he had sisters. There was a divine nature inside this human flesh and he looked just like us. He ate, he drank, and he slept just like us. There was no majesty, the Bible tells us in Isaiah 53, that we should be attracted to him. There was nothing about his appearance that would cause us to desire him. He sat down and he taught people. He walked around and he did miracle after miracle. And for all the work that he did, we esteemed him not. We considered him stricken and smitten. But God was conspiring in the midst of all of man's sin to place our sins on Jesus himself and to punish our sins so that we might be made right with God. On the cross, our twistedness. On the cross, our transgressions. And on the cross, every time we missed the mark, it was placed on Him, and He took it for us. The whole ordeal looked like to us just so much weakness and foolishness to the extreme, and yet God on the cross is conspiring to reconcile us to Himself through His Son. The secret of the kingdom is this. Not only did God formulate this plan and work the plan out through his son but the spirit of god is even now applying it to people today the secret of the kingdom is this god is filling his kingdom with the likes of you and me if you see that there in verse 11 look down there at verse 11 let me get my glasses where i can see it in verse 11 he says it came about when all who knew him saw, previously saw that he prophesied now with the prophets, that the people said to one another, What has happened to the son of Kish? Is Saul among the prophets? <laughs> now, I promise you guys, get ready. There's a, there's a twist here, so hold your horses, because you know what I said last week about Saul. <laughs> but it sure looks wonderful, doesn't it? I want to give you two words. The first word is admiration. The second word is going to be examination. Admiration. The local town people see Saul prophesying with the prophets. What's happened to the son of Kish? Is Saul among the prophets? I mean, this is our shy. This is our powerful. This is our man who's head and shoulders above the rest. He was not brought up in a home that loved God. He was not brought up in a home that knew the prophet or knew the word of God. He had to be taught slowly. Remember, we've been talking about that. Here is an amazing thing. Here is our big, tall, big man, on, big man on campus who knows nothing about God, and yet he's prophesying with the prophets. Wonders never cease. But the locals are generally, genuinely admiring Saul and this great change. He's not their choice for God to work in. 
He's never even heard, really walked with God, known about the things of God. But God is sovereign and God is gracious and God saves even the worst of sinners. So why shouldn't Saul be among the prophets? You see, it's sinners. They, un, they are the unlikely candidates that God saves. Sin-sick sinners need a Savior. There was also another Saul in the New Testament. His name was Saul of Tarsus, and he called himself the chief of sinners. And yet God changed his life and placed him on the narrow road that leads to life. John Newton, we sang, we're going to sing Amazing Grace here in a few minutes, and we sang 172 this morning, another song that he sings. But Amazing Grace, what does it, how does it go? Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a what? A wretch. <laughs> this man called himself a wretch. Now, why would he call himself a wretch? Do you know that he grew up in a godly home? Do you know that he grew up being taught the Word of God and he, he stood up, walked away from it all, and lived a life of reckless abandon? This is what he says about his life. I sinned with a high hand and I made it my study to tempt others and to seduce others to do the same. That's what I was like. That's what he says. And then God saved him out of his immorality, saved him out of his drunkenness. He was a slave trader. And by his own admission, he called himself a wretch. Wonders never cease. This word, admiration, is what we need to think about. God saves the likes of us and places us into his kingdom. He conspires to fill the kingdom with weak people. Now think about it. Some of us have become Christians at the age of, I know somebody's told me that he's become a Christian at the age of 35. So there are some people who become Christians later in life. They don't have a background. And so as they come to know the Lord, they begin to walk with the Lord, it, uh, sometimes it doesn't feel so good because you begin to realize that if you walk with the Lord, not everything on the earth is going to be fixed until later, till the end, till heaven. And many of us, we have been raised with a Christian heritage. Um, many of us grew up in a Christian home. I think about Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards, he, he's one of the most godly, the, he's one of the most famous theologians that our America has ever created, uh, you know, ever came forth from America. And this thing he says when he goes out and rides on, horse, on, a horses, on horses at, at times, he uh, said he would give off, get off the horse and he would lay in the dust, and he would cry out, Infinite upon infinite are my sins against a holy God. And I think to myself, Jonathan, why? You didn't ever do anything really bad, did you? <laughs> did you do anything really bad? I mean, did you ever go out and you didn't ever do anything like John Newton did? John Newton did some really bad stuff. Well, why does Jonathan say this about himself? Well, let me tell you why. Because in his own words, he says that God allowed him to see his heart. God allowed him to see the anger in his heart was just as bad as standing up and screaming at somebody and calling somebody names. God allowed him to see that in his heart there was impurity. And so even though he might not have committed the act of immorality, he saw the immorality that was in his heart. Yesterday we were with the men and we were talking about, what does it mean for extern, external re, uh, obedience not to be enough? Remember? And we have that wonderful little illustration, the, the little girl that she's standing in the chair. Mama tells her to sit down. She sits down. And um, you see, the little girl needs to know that when she says, Mama, 
in my heart, I'm still standing up. Well, she needs to see that that right there, that's sin you need to be saved from. And so Jonathan was able to see that those sins need a Savior. And he sees himself as one who is saved. A wretch. Okay, yes, right. He never did anything outwardly. But in his heart, he saw that he was a sinner. Do you feel yourself to be the worst of sinners? You see, there's hope for sinners. There's not hope for the righteous. There's hope for sinners. Wonders never cease. Ask yourself, are you among the Christians? Are you among the Christians? You are in your sin, and you were going the opposite direction, but are you now among the Christians? I, I can just hear this playing out with Ananias about Saul of Tarsus. Remember Ananias? God tells Ananias, listen, Saul, I want you to go see Saul. He's over in that house praying. And can't you just hear him go, Lord, are you sure? Are you sure this guy kills people? <laughs> are you sure this is your, your, your instrument? Are you sure? Is he really among the preachers? Is he really going to be among the Christians? But you see, wonders never cease. The Lord is merciful. The second word I want you to think about before we move on to the second point is this. Examination. We need to examine our hearts to see if we're truly the Lord's people. Saul looks good in many ways, doesn't he? He's promising. He's humble. We saw him hiding by the baggage. He's humble. He's hanging with the right group of people. He's being schooled by the prophet Samuel. Probably his language has changed. But will it remain? Is he just black soil covered by a thin veneer of white snow? See what I'm saying? Eventually when the sun comes out, the snow is melted and we see the blackness of Saul's heart. So we have to ask ourselves, am I truly born of God? Am I truly a child of God? There's tr it's true. Wonders never cease. God saves Saul's. We have to ask ourselves, am I truly in the kingdom of God? So think about this. God can make the phallus clean, but we need to examine ourselves to see if we're truly in Jesus Christ the vine. In 2 Corinthians 13, 5 and 6, we read, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. We need to test ourselves, Paul says. Do you not realize that Christ is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the, the test, unless you fail the examination. So, the kingdom of God is secret. God's filling, the wonderful secret is that God is filling His kingdom with the likes of you and me. But we do need not only to admire that God saves the chiefest of sinners, but we need to examine ourselves to see if we're one of those well second the selection of the king we've seen the secrecy of the kingdom now let's look at the selection of the king and this consists of Saul's, Samuel's rebuke before the Lord chose to reveal the secret that only Samuel and Saul knows Samuel is going to do something very unorthodox not unorthodox for a prophet <laughs> but unorthodox at least in this, what we think is going to happen. Samuel summons all the people of Israel to the Lord at Mizpah. Do you remember the last time Samuel summoned all the people to Mizpah? Remember that? Remember that? Ben, you need to remember that. Remember what happened? All the people at this point in time, they'd been sorrowing, and they'd been seeking the Lord, but they'd never, ever expressed their sorrow in a concrete repentance. And so he tells them to repent. 
He tells them to get rid of their, their idols, and they do it. They confess their sins, they get rid of their idols, and he told them, he told them, if you do this, God is going to take care of you. And then, remember what happens, the Philistines hear that they're at Mizpah, they all are coming to fight against Israel, they have no weapons, God thunders a great thunder, and God gives them victory over the Philistines that day. That was a great day. And that was the day they set up that Ebenezer stone that says basically this, thus far the Lord has helped us. But now it's time for Samuel to anoint another king, the first king of Israel. It's time to publicly make everybody know what those two guys know privately. It was a festive time. It was a time when everybody should be dressing up and being happy. And Samuel, if he was politically correct, he would never do what he's about to do. But remember, he's a prophet. He stood before them. And he tells them all with that. Remember this morning we talked about that bony finger. He rebukes all of them. The party pooper. Party pooper. Look at verse 18. And he said to the sons of Israel, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I brought Israel up from Egypt, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the power of the kingdoms that were oppressing you. But you have today rejected your God who delivers you from all your calamities and your distresses. Yet you have said no, but set a king over us. This guy knows how to sour the hour. How can you do this? Let me remind you, you shouldn't do this. You should not do this. You have a God who saved you out of of Egypt. You have a God who's delivered you from the power of Pharaoh. You have a God who's delivered you over all these times from all the nations. Why do you find fault in your invisible God? Why are you doing this? He's giving them one more time to repent. He's giving them one more time. If we took this right out of the, out of the New Testament, we might put it in these words. We could say Samuel is saying, Do not be conformed to this world. What's this world? Do not be conformed to this world. Don't look for a visible king. But in view of the mercies of God we've just reviewed, present yourselves as living sacrifices and turn back to the invisible Lord who's brought you in the first place. That's not what they were expecting. But you know, the Lord loves you too much just to be nice. This is what Dell Davis says. Can we expect Samuel to smile blandly and croon with outstretched hand th- these words? So good to see all of you here today for this happy occasion that brings us together. The Lord may even ruin a nice occasion if it will get your attention and lead you to repentance. Have you ever had one of those occasions? <laughs> Maybe you had a conversation where you're talking to somebody and you, know, you say that thing that causes a problem leading people to repentance maybe how do how can we how do we sin, how can we be tempted in this way i'm going to leave a, a few things out here but um, how can we how can this sin be a, a, a committed today we be wooed away to 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 go the way of the visible versus the invisible god let me give you two men, two examples. I trained a man in 2000, and 
he was going to church reading his Bible and he was telling me what he was reading. We were talking about it. I trained him every morning and his wife. He's reading the Bible. We're talking about ultimately maybe being considered as an elder of his church. And this man, he had a lot of money and he had a good reputation. Because of the money, he was able to buy a home in Colorado. Because of the reputation, he was invited to be on boards. He retired in his like early 50s. So he was on a board in Te- in Ed Austin. He's on a board in Tyler, Texas, and he was just bought this home in Colorado. And you know, if you buy a home in Colorado, what do you need to do to justify the fact that you have it? Well, you have to go use it. So two times a month he would go to Colorado, and one time a month he would fly to a board meeting. And so now, instead of protecting the Lord's day and worshiping on the Lord's day, this man is not in the house of the Lord. He's not there for the preaching of the word. He's not reading the word like he was. He's not praying like he was. He's not talking to me about these things like he was. And the next thing I knew, he had committed a dreadful sin. I had people coming to me and saying, You trained this person. (laughs) Do you know what he did? And it shocked me. And to this day, God is reproving this person for straying away from him as the world lured him into this trap. And folks, you and I, we must prefer the Lord. Oh, how we must do whatever it takes to stay near the Lord, lest we swallow the sweet pill that's offered to us and then forever deal with the bitterness of having taken that. Because that's what's going to happen to Israel. They're taking the bait. They're being lured into taking Saul. Saul will bless them for a while. He's going to be a bitter pill in the end. Well, let me give you another illustration. Another friend of mine, another person, (laughs) pretty wealthy, but spiritually as well as monetarily. He's a doctor friend of mine, and in a very unguarded moment, he'd probably kill me if he knew I said this, but I'm not going to say his name. But he said something to me, and I'd never forget it. (laughs) So, He said, every other weekend, I have paid another doctor of mine $2,000 every other weekend to cover my call. So my ears pop up. Why? He says, well, I didn't want to miss church with my family. Now, you start figuring it out, folks. $4,000 a month, 12 times $4,000. It's not chump change. Why are you doing this? Don't want to miss church with my family. Want to be under the ministry of the Word of God. Want to be as close to God as I possibly can. Think about what I'm doing. Think about what you're doing. Make your decisions wisely. It's not bad to be on a board. It's not bad to have a home in Colorado. It's not bad to have nice cars and a nice home. It's not bad to have many, many things. But cast them all to the wind if you begin to prefer them over your relationship to God through Jesus Christ. You see, it's not the things that's the problem. It's the love of the things. It's the preferring of the things that's the problem. And you and I, when we, we even start seeing ourselves prefer the things, we lose the gospel. I read that this week. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. If you seek first the things, you lose the Christ. Don't seek first the things. Seek seek Christ first and have all the things added to you and you'll know how to use them in the proper way. 
Well, second, let's look at the selection of the king. It consists of the Lord's selection process, and we'll move through this pretty quickly. After he preached these words, no, he said, this is what you said, no, set a king over us. I can only imagine that he paused there for a minute and sort of was waiting. You're gonna, are they going to repent? And they didn't. So we see the next words, so now present yourselves before the Lord. So there's this cool silence that takes place and this secret between Samuel and Saul is going to be made public and there's going to be a solemn assembly. He calls for a solemn assembly. Now, at first, we, you and I were Bible reading and we may not get all of this. But a solemn assembly is an unsettling event. I'm going to see if I can remind some of you Bible readers of the last solemn assembly that had been called. Do you remember the last solemn assembly that had been called? It happened after the uh, Joshua fit the battle at the Jericho. Remember the song? And then after they went into battle against Ai, they were beaten back badly and 36 people died. Why did they die? Well, there was a guy named Achan who broke the rule. There was a band. They were not to take any spoil. He took spoil. He took a Babylonian garment. He took some gold. He shoved it underneath his tent, and he hid it away. And so when they went into the battle for the next time against Ai, they lost. They were defeated because of sin was in the camp. And so Joshua was told by God to call a solemn assembly, and they cast lots, six Tribes were moved over here and left with these three. They cast lots again, and they finally came all the way down to the, the household of Achan. And Joshua tells Achan, he says, Give glory to God and tell us what you've done. And he confessed what he had done. And they took Achan. And because the wrath of God had fallen on Israel because of Achan's sin, now Achan and his whole family would be stoned and burned. That's a solemn thing. So the last time they had a solemn assembly was that day. And now he's called for another solemn assembly. He's judged, Samuel's judged Israel to be guilty. And he's called them to repent and they have not done it. And now he calls them to present themselves by their tribes and by their clans. After the lot was cast, the tribe of Benjamin was taken. After the lot was cast again, the clan of Matri, Matri was taken. And finally, after that, Saul was selected. And there's two things going on here. First, Saul is the Lord's selection to be, the, be Israel's first king. And it's sweet. God has selected him. But the second thing that we need to take note of is this. The Lord is judging Israel by selecting Saul for them, giving them what they want. He's going to give them what they want, not what they need. They pleaded for this, and this is what God gives them what they want. And eventually, he becomes a tyrant against the people. Well, as we close this whole assembly, coming before Samuel the prophet, being presented before the Lord in all the selection process, the judgment that takes place should send our minds forward to the great day of judgment. Just as the Lord told Samuel to anoint Saul, it happened. And just as Samuel told Saul that certain signs would happen, and they did, they happened. Just as Samuel and Saul both knew this day would occur, the last day of judgment will come when Jesus, exactly as Jesus has said.
And just as every tribe and clan stood before the prophet Samuel, each and every one of us will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. The lots will be cast, and you and I will stand before Jesus as judge. All judgment, Jesus says, has been placed into his hands. And if you and I, I'm going to use the words from Psalm 2, if you and I have not fallen down and kissed the Son, if you and I have not fallen down and worshipped the Son, on that day we will be compelled to do so. We will be separated from God forever. On the other hand, if you've kissed the Son and you put your faith and trust in Jesus, if, listen to this, if God the Father has taken all of your sins and placed them on Jesus, and if God the Father has punished with the stones of, of His wrath against your sins upon Jesus, you will walk into heaven. You will be openly acknowledged and acquitted because your sins were judged on Christ's cross. Because of this great act, you and I can have confidence before God that we will stand before the Lord Jesus on this great day and enter into heaven, a place of bliss. Well, let's think about these things. Let's pray. Let's thank God for this time. Our Father, we thank you for this word from uh, your, your word from 1 Samuel. We thank you for uh, the teaching that is here. And we pray, Father, that we might admire you because your wonders of mercy never cease. We pray that we might be those who examine our hearts. And we pray, Father, that we might even think about what we've just said. Lord, one day we'll stand before the Lord Jesus. And so, Father, we pray that we will, will be those who kiss the Son so that He not be angry with us in the end and be separated him, from Him forever. We pray that we would be those who worship and adore even today. Take us home from this place now safely. Give us energy to do your will this week as we do our work and go to our separate uh, places of employment and what we do. All, many of us may be staying at home even. But help us to do what we do to your glory and honor. And Lord, we pray that you will even now help us begin to prepare for next week as we think about worshiping you with your people. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.